Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Hi, everyone. It's Rena Jadhav. Welcome to the Healthier Podcast, where today, we are talking about invisible illnesses. There is a massive epidemic of people suffering from symptoms that medical doctors don't know how to diagnose. I was one of them, if you've heard my story. You know, I had 28 symptoms, went through every test, and no one could figure out what the heck was wrong with me, even though clearly I was dying. I was down to 90 pounds. So there's millions of us out there that start suffering from Maybe pain, maybe it's phantom pain in a limb, and doctors cannot figure out why that pain is manifesting. Or a variety of symptoms, chronic fatigue is another good one, fibromyalgia is another one. So there's this onslaught of symptoms that a lot of us seem to experience without explanation. We're calling them invisible illnesses. And today, to tell us how she resolved her own invisible illness, got some patents, and is now on a mission to help everybody else out there, is Dr. Diana Driscoll. Dr. Diana, welcome. Thank you so much, Rena, for having me. It's really an honor to be here. It's interesting to hear your journey. There's certainly some parallels there with mine. You know, there are, because guess what? I picked up something unknown from Cabo. Oh, no. And we didn't figure that out. Because every test for a parasite was negative. So I would say, look, all my symptoms began manifesting one after the other three weeks after I came back from Cabo with food poisoning. And they said, well, we're telling you, you don't have a parasite. Nothing's showing up on any of the tests. And at that time, I had not branched out from conventional medicine to the integrative field. And so I said, I guess you know what you're talking about, and I don't have a parasite. Well, seven months later, during my trail of doctors that I went to, I started to hear a pattern. You've got something that your body's trying to kill, and that's why you keep losing weight. It is trying to heat up your body to get rid of this thing. This thing is causing major damage, and it's going and it's affecting every organ, which is why they can't figure it out, because whatever you picked up didn't die. And so my story, again, very much parallels yours, is pick something up, that thing, my body went to battle. Mm-hmm. I was the casualty with all my symptoms. And it took me over a year to strengthen my body, strengthen the organs, and kill that friggin' thing that I'd ingested. Mm-hmm. And then to start rebuilding the organ strength because my body had literally gone to battle. That it was, and it was, it was a battle it was losing for a very long time. So mm-hmm. you and I share that because your story is fascinating. You picked up a virus. So mm-hmm. tell everyone your very quickly your story of your illness. And then we'll dive right. deeper into the answers. I wish I could say mine was just a year or two. It was <laughs> over a decade, Rena, but it and it came out of the blue. I was very healthy. I was kind of a health nut, in fact. I so didn't see this coming, but I went, ironically, to Costa Rica for a mission trip, and everyone on the trip got the same virus. So I knew I couldn't blame the virus, but 
I didn't seem to recover where everyone else did. And even just weeks after getting the virus, I was disabled. I, I had two patients one day. I couldn't finish. I had to just stop. So I was eventually diagnosed with dysautonomia or POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. It's a dysfunction of the autonomic nervous system. So that's a system of the body. You really shouldn't have to think about it. It includes like regulation of your heart rate, blood pressure, digestion, temperature control and such. And none of that worked with me. So, but it did morph and it changed constantly. You had, I think, 28 symptoms. I remember a list of 80 at one point. But every, well, every time I went to the doctor, I was changing it. And so it was like we were chasing a moving target. It was really tough and very frustrating. But when my kids started to get sick, and my poor son, he was eight, he got a series of three viruses, just regular viruses. All of his friends got them. Each one knocked him down a little bit further, and that third one completely disabled. So he started to waste away, I think, not unlike you, interestingly. He developed severe osteoporosis. He broke his arm just putting on a jacket one day and broke another arm throwing a ball. But as sick as we were, no one could help us. And it was really a scary, scary time. I can imagine. Mm -hmm. So clearly you had your own physical illness issues. Then you had your son's issues. Let's talk a little about how did you identify the problem? Oh, gosh. Well, it took over a decade. <laughs> Honestly, there were more than there was more than one problem going on. But I started to cluster some of the symptoms and that helped. And that's one way I was able to end up with. Let's start with dysautonomia, because some of the symptoms, if you cluster them, they look like they were autonomic symptoms, heart rate, mm -hmm. digestion, breathing difficulties, um, the tremors and weakness, temperature regulation. I could see maybe that's related too, but it, it did change over time. Um, one thing we did notice, we had a lot of neck pain eventually, and that was helpful because digging into that, headaches, neck pain, dizziness, I eventually started to notice that I was displaying much like someone who had high intracranial pressure. Right. And it helped being an eye doctor. We treat high intracranial pressure here. But I didn't have swelling of my optic nerve, nor did my kids. So it really kind of discombobulated us for a while. But eventually, it just seemed so clear. And Diamox is usually what's used for high intracranial pressure. And I responded immediately. And then I took my son to another doctor for treatment. I didn't want to be his doctor. He's so young. And he responded immediately. And we knew we were onto something. Um, but it, was, it just involved so many more years. It wow. was a long process. Now, one of the things you learned about was vagus nerve. Tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about that. What is the vagus nerve? Most people don't even know what that is. You know, and that's a good review because no one really thinks about it because you're, you're not supposed to need to. <laughs> it should work all by itself. You shouldn't have to tell it to work. You shouldn't have to stimulate it or, or make it work. But the vagus nerve is, is the longest cranial nerve in the body. And we speak of it as if there's one nerve, but there's actually two. There's one on each side of the neck, if you will. And um, it controls... So many aspects of, of good health. 
It controls your heart rate, your ability to breathe properly. It's part of the parasympathetic nervous system, the system that calms you, allows you to relax and digest. We call it the rest and digest system. Um, so it affects every aspect of digestion, from swallowing to the release of stomach acid when food enters the stomach, to the pyloric valve at the base of the stomach opening and letting that food exit to go into the intestines. It tells the gallbladder when it's time to spit out bile to help digestion. Um, it is partially controlling the pancreas that of course releases digestive enzymes. It controls peristalsis, the movement of both the food and the stool ultimately through the G GI tract. So without good vagus nerve function, you'll tend toward constipation, malnutrition, ultimately um, malabsorption. But it's also, interestingly, Rena, it's the anti-inflammatory nerve of the body. Mm -hmm. And if we're dealing with any sort of systemic inflammation for any reason, we need a good vagus nerve. But um, one clue if you're having vagus nerve problems is if you take digestive enzymes or acidity boosters like betaine hydrochloride or what have you, and they help, mm -hmm. the vagus nerve might not be quite doing its job. So, right. yeah, I noticed the pattern. And I noticed, too, my heart rate had changed at about the same time my GI tract changed. And trying to think this through and be objective at a time when subjectively, I was just thinking, I'm dying, this is horrible. You know, <laughs> it was really hard. But I noticed that pattern and I thought, Whenever you see patterns like that, if you can tie them together with one thing, it helps. But well, the vagus nerve controls both of those. And started to look at, could something have happened to my vagus nerve? I didn't know, but um, dug into what could be going on with that. And that was part of the journey. So what can damage or hurt or lead the vagus nerve to malfunction? Well, because it is so long, Rena, there are plenty of opportunities for it to be damaged, right? Um, anything from, gosh, heart ablation, whiplash, abdominal surgery of any kind can damage the vagus nerve. So it doesn't take much and it can be, be, be poorly functioning. But we had to dig a little bit deeper because although I was considering the possibility that my vagus nerve was compressed, maybe at the neck, we were looking into that. It turned out ultimately it wasn't even a vagus nerve problem. But I started to look at, was it a genetic issue? And looked at the neurotransmitter that the vagus nerve uses. Could I have some sort of gene involving the production of that neurotransmitter dug into that? People who do have genetic issues with the neurotransmitter have more problem mm -hmm. displaying as, as a vagus nerve problem. And then ultimately, though, what we came to find was certain aspects of inflammation, both inflammatory cells and inflammatory cytokines, one of the chemicals they, or multiple chemicals they tend to release, can actually block the release of acetylcholine. So ultimately, Rena, we're able to figure out this wasn't really a vagus nerve problem per se, which is why stimulating it really wasn't doing it. This was an acetylcholine problem. And we had to dig deeper for that. So it was quite the mystery. Wow. Well, in your case, it turned out that it presented itself like it might be, but it wasn't. And Correct. I know that, in fact, in a lot of people's cases, it is the problem. 
in my case as well, I firmly believe that whatever I ingested, bacteria or virus, it went and created havoc in my nervous system because a lot of my symptoms from the tremors to the loss of function to my finger, my right finger, um, little finger would go white and numb just randomly all odd times of the day. So there was hot and cold. I would go from burning up to freezing. So clearly, you know, I, I did the same research, which is, what controls all these functions right. and the vagus nerve is part of it. How can people test if someone's out there listening to this and saying, Oh my God, that's my symptom too. I have constipation, which is unexplained. And right. when I take BT and I feel so much better, right. are there tests people can do to find out their navel, their uh, vagus nerve, their vagus nerve function? Well, I kind of designed my own test and maybe it's worth pausing to tell you what happened here. Um, and I, I so admire how you stay in the science, Rena, and that's really important to me. I know figuring this out and there were answers in the science. I didn't have to, to guess too much, but unfortunately there's no uh, specific test for it. There's no blood test for acetylcholine, which is the neurotransmitter used by the vagus nerve also, which makes it more difficult. We have to look at presentation oftentimes. But what happened to me was I, I just got so bad. My GI tract wasn't working at all. And I had complete gastroparesis with no bowel movements. And I had tried everything, which might be you know TMI, but it was miserable. It had been, gosh, 11 days. I still hadn't had a bowel movement. Plus, I was so sick. And that on top of it just got... Oh, terrible. So I went to my doctor and um, she couldn't think of anything different than I'd already done. I had taken Miralax every day for, for months, but even on Miralax, nothing was happening. So I told her I had this pain in my lower right hand uh, abdominal quadrant and I didn't know what that was. So she sent me to a urologist that day and said, maybe it's a kidney stone. I thought, well, that's not really how they present, but okay. You know, I don't think she knew what else to do. And the urologist was really nice and very smart. He gave me some dye to drink, that nasty stuff. And he, he scoped me for stones and I didn't have any stones. But because he was so nice and smart, I, I told him what my suspicions were about the vagus nerve. And I said, if that is part of the issue, could that pain in the lower right-hand quadrant be an ileocecal valve problem? And that's the valve between the large and small intestine. I thought maybe it's not opening properly. He thought that was amazing, could be. So he sent me to a friend of his, a, a surgeon, to see if they could maybe look into that or open it up. And the surgeon, I really appreciated his honesty. He said, oh no. He said, Diane, if you think this is a vagus nerve problem, the last thing you wanna do is have abdominal surgery because we cut right through those nerves. We cause gastroparesis. So I thanked him and he sent me on my way. I still didn't have any answers and this is where it was it was just an amazing thing that happened three days after that I got a kidney stone and I know oh that sounds so bizarre but I think for whatever reason I was just set up to figure this out I reached out to that urologist and I said I know you're gonna think I'm crazy because three days ago okay I didn't have a stone you checked but I do now and I've never had one before but you cannot miss these symptoms, Rena. You just know immediately. Yes, this is extremely painful, excruciating. Yes, so. yes. So he met me at the hospital. He removed the stone. 
And when I woke up from anesthesia, he was just standing right there. And he said, Diana, you're right. <laughs> I'm like kind of groggy. Oh, what, what? You know, I said, it's your ileocecal valve. Um, and I asked him, oh my gosh, how do you know that? He said, well, the dye I gave you three days ago, it's still in you, but it's all crammed up against the valve. It's not opening. Mm. Thought, wow, confirmation. Wow. What do I do? And wow. he said, I have no idea. So interestingly, they went ahead and tested my gallbladder, wondering if that pain was the gallbladder at the time. And it was showing it wasn't working. My ejection fraction was 8%. And the doctor said, let's remove it. And I, I remembered, oh, no, I'm not supposed to have abdominal surgery. Let's apply for it. But this doesn't really make any sense to me because they said it didn't have stones in it. It wasn't a f infected like an appendix. It wasn't about to burst or anything. I said, is the opening stuck? You know, thought about the ileocecal valve. They said, no, that's open. I said, you know, I want to think about this because it sounded neurological to me. And I thought if, if I can figure this out, I'd like to hang on to that organ if I could. So this was the test that I used. And what I had to do was I was just laying in bed miserable and no one could help me. Um, so I thought, well, let's just assume I'm right. Let's just say this is the biggest nerve problem. What can I do about it? And I remembered in optometry school, learning about the vagus nerve and understanding there are two parts to the vagus nerve. There's the preganglionic part, the part that goes from the brain down the neck into the chest cavity, down through the abdomen. And then there's a gap, what we call a synapse. And then there's a tiny postganglionic vagus nerve. And I remembered the professor saying the postganglionic nerve is so small, it's almost a part of the organ itself. And I have no idea why I remember these weird details. I was always kind of a nerd, I guess, maybe that's why, but it kind of worked in my favor because I thought, okay, I think I still have that postganglionic nerve. I've never had surgery. Let's try to stimulate. So I thought back to, could I introduce the neurotransmitter and the neurotransmitter is acetylcholine. That's not a drug, so that's not an option. What you have to do is introduce what we call an agonist, an imitator of that neurotransmitter. And I thought, okay, what's the agonist of the vagus nerve? I thought, oh, well, that's easy. Because the vagus nerve is the only nerve that's called a nicotinic acetylcholinergic nerve. And the reason we use that term is its agonist is nicotine. So I called my husband at the office and said, on the way home from the office, can you swing by the drugstore and pick up a nicotine patch? <laughs> Mark. Like, what the heck are you doing? You know? I'll explain. I'll explain. He was kind of getting used to me running little like science experiments on my body. But I took that patch and I didn't know if it mattered where I put it, but I put it in the lower right hand quadrant and I kind of envisioned the nicotine going through the skin because it's transdermal, right? It goes yeah. through and landing on that postganglionic vagus nerve and maybe triggering um, a bowel movement. And sure enough, about an hour and a half later, things started moving, the valve wow. opened perfectly normal bowel movement. And I, I used it for four days straight, worked every time. But the problem is nicotine activates some aspects of inflammation, right? Cells, macrophages. It looked like my stomach was eaten by fire ants. It was purple, red, itched like crazy, had to stop using it. Um, but I had some answers. 
And I knew either this was a vagus nerve problem, a pre-ganglionic problem, or it was an acetylcholine problem. And I had to figure that out next. Quite the journey. Wow, my goodness, what a journey and how brilliant oh, are you? Well, you're how very kind. Are you to have stayed with the problem? Look, Dr. Diana, most of us just don't stick with the problem. We give up. We I assume that. that this is our fate in life. And then we're told you're getting older, deal with it. So between the you're getting older, deal with it, which I heard multiple times, <laughs> to um, you know, quit trying to be a doctor. You're not oh. let me do my job and you just sit quietly and take the antidepressants and the uh, pills that I'm prescribing right. to even people around me saying, what is it that you're trying to do? You think you're going to figure this out? Like right. you're crazy. And so for you to have battled through not the most supportive world around us, that's telling us you, you're not going to figure this out. You just right. need to accept your fate and you right. fought through that and you stuck with it and you got into the weeds mm -hmm. um, to truly identify the root cause. I want to applaud you. Oh, you are such an inspiring you. story. And I'm going to take a pause here and say to everybody, Dr. Diana did it. I did it. So can you have faith in yourself, believe in yourself that you do not need to live with this invisible illness, whatever it is that you may have or that your loved one may have. Let's share this interview. Let's inspire everyone out there that's suffering from things that no one can figure out to say, you can figure it out. Please join HealCircle.org. We have circles where you can meet others, discuss, talk, learn. I know we heal faster together. So again, if you're dealing with an issue, you can't figure it out, don't give up for crying out loud. Join HealCircle.org or talk to friends or you know, stay on it. Um, with that said, you obviously went through a, a very medical approach because of your educational background. Mm -hmm. For someone who doesn't have that kind of a background and may not be able to see the patterns, I know that there's a couple of other simple symptoms we can talk about, like constipation. And God knows a lot of people have constipation, and it is not a fiber issue. Fatigue, dry eyes. I know so many people that complain of dry eyes, large pupils, brain fog. There's a lot of symptoms that, again, they are we're told it's just part of aging or maybe you're just gut microbiome isn't functioning right. Um, you're just stressed. Um, but we know now that these symptoms can in fact be a manifestation of a poor functioning vagus nerve. So that while there isn't a blood test that someone can do, clearly there's other things. I think if there people have cluster of symptoms, they can start to suspect that it might be a vagus nerve problem. Now you clearly went again pretty deep but what about simple techniques that work on the vagus nerve, which I do, meditation, the, there's a particular breathing that balances the left and the right uh, nerves, just to use a simple term. They call it the Ida and the Pingala. So there's breathing techniques. There's obviously cold water on the face. There's, there's chanting that also wakes up the, the, the vagus nerve. How do you look at those, how do you evaluate those other ways to stimulate the vagus nerve? Well, I think before I went 
there. Honestly, I wasn't quite done with the journey because I still wasn't sure if it was an acetylcholine problem or a vagus nerve problem per se. So, and that was part of it because um, the vagus nerve does control digestion, heart rate, breathing, but it, the vagus nerve doesn't affect tear production and it doesn't affect the brain. Acetylcholine does. So that was part of the journey. And I took five years to reach out to people in the invisible illness world and with symptom checklists. And into these symptom checklists, I tucked about 35 symptoms of basically of anticholinergic poisoning, as if um, acetylcholine was so low, they had been poisoned, what symptoms would occur, like the ones you mentioned, and uh, looked at both patients with POTS and chronic fatigue, but also did uh, fibromyalgia and interesting um, post-traumatic stress disorder. They often end up with autonomic dysfunction mm-hmm. and collected those over five years. And the majority of patients had the majority of symptoms of anticholinergic poisoning, although they'd never been poisoned. The, the symptoms would come and go, but it told me we were dealing oftentimes with a secondary vagus nerve problem, that this was likely an underlying acetylcholine problem. And since nicotine showed that the receptors of the vagus nerve are still working well, we knew it was an autoimmune condition, but then I had to dig into where did the acetylcholine go? How could we put it back, if you will? And it would be really cool if I could figure out some oral medication or supplement mix that did what nicotine did for the vagus nerve function, but without the negative effects of nicotine, but did more than that if it would also boost acetylcholine for the brain, cross the blood-brain barrier, um, help the lacrimal nerve is what stimulates the lacrimal gland to produce tears. Um, Could it also do that too? So I had some goals to work on and was highly motivated, as you mentioned, because we were just so sick. I, I couldn't just deal with it. I, I couldn't have a bowel movement. So, um, yeah, started to set, it, set up uh, trials on how to put that together using my ancient organic chemistry knowledge, which was really ancient, and looked into, say, the genetic issues with acetylcholine, developed workarounds for those, et cetera and eventually came up with an oral mix to do the same thing. But it also crossed the blood-brain barrier and allowed me finally to think again. I had gotten to the point, Rena, where I was awake maybe three hours a day. And those three hours, I struggled to stay awake. I was getting worse every week. And I remember telling my husband, what, do we like snuff out or something and just stop waking up? You know, I couldn't organize my thoughts. I was basically demented. I had no short-term memory at all. And this allowed that to start to reverse. My neurologist assumed I had some neurodegenerative condition. I exhibit liked it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But fortunately, that's what, it's not what it was. I remember telling him, I feel like I'm missing something. Mm -hmm. We can figure out what I'm missing. People out there that don't know what um, acetylcholine is, please yeah. talk about it. Right. Um, nerves communicate with chemicals. They don't directly touch the organ they're innervating. They, um, you stimulate a nerve, and the stimulation or impulse travels down the nerve to the ending out of it, and it spits out a chemical 
called a neurotransmitter that jumps across this little gap or, or synapse and then it lands on a receptor and that receptor receiving the neurotransmitter stimulates the organ. So in the case of the vagus nerve, the neurotransmitter is acetylcholine and it's a chemical. But acetylcholine is also used by other systems of the body. It isn't just an autonomic nervous system chemical like for the vagus nerve. It's also used by the central nervous system, the brain, to create short-term memories, for example. And executive function allows us to, to keep a lot of balls in the air and stay organized. Um, it's also used by the muscles for, for strength, the peripheral nervous system. So when we're looking to try to figure out if it's a vagus nerve problem or an acetylcholine problem, we look at the entire presentation, just like what you mentioned. Look for some of those symptoms. For me, it was severe which made it easier to see. But for someone, it's more subtle. Just like you mentioned, it's easier to say, oh, I'm just getting old or I'm under a lot of stress or whatever. But we can so be healthier, um, improve the quality of our lives, not just for sick people, but people who are, are not identified as having an invisible illness. They can also be healthier by identifying that. Um, so how, is this, how is this different from choline? What's the difference between acetylcholine and just choline? Because I know there's yeah. quite a few practitioners, integrative practitioners, right. that talk about the critical importance of just having choline in your diet. Right. Choline is, is found in eggs, for example, and um, some other substances. It's a dietary element, and choline is part of acetylcholine. It, you can't just boost choline, though, to raise acetylcholine. And if you have enough choline, then that's not necessarily going to translate to acetylcholine. So acetylcholine is a neurotransmitter. Choline is found in the diet. Um, and coming up with some sort of supplement mix, we couldn't really use choline. One, because it doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier. We had to figure out a form of choline that actually crossed the blood-brain barrier. And then it's such a bulky substance, you couldn't really put it in a pill without having to take a thousand of them. Well, I mean, not a thousand, a lot of them. Um, and that was problematic. So it was part of what we needed to do. And interestingly, one of the genes I studied, the MTHFD1 gene, that is not MTHFR. I know there's a fair amount about that. Different. But that's one involves choline. And people who have that gene, need more choline than other people or they can suffer with things like um, liver dysfunction, high liver enzymes, etc. So one aspect to it, but not sufficient to, to translate to acetylcholine, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. You say that the vagus nerve controls mast cells. Talk a little bit about that because for everyone out there that's suffering from histamine intolerance, there is a army of us out there they could get some results by fixing their vagus nerve, isn't it? Absolutely. And this wasn't my science, Rena. Other people have published this in the past. The parasympathetic nervous system and the vagus nerve, are uh, they, they're in charge of regulating mast cells and other aspects of inflammation. In fact, Kevin Tracy, um, Dr. Kevin Tracy of the Feinstein Institute of Medicine is the one who initially figured out that the vagus nerve is in charge of inflammation. And that's huge because if you are fighting, is if it's mast cell activation or any of the many mimickers for it, or any sort of chronic inflammation, 
and there's a lot of us out there, you need a good functioning vagus nerve to do so well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is essential. Those symptoms you had are, are pretty clear. It's, it's miserable. Um, I went to a Maso conference initially, and these people are just so miserable. That flushing, itching, high, yes. it's sensitive, exactly. foods, chemicals, everything. You, in fact, in my case, I presented like mast cell activation and got to the point too, I couldn't handle any stress. Just even answering me. Um, was too stressful. You know, I couldn't order a pizza or something. <laughs> my, my personality went out the window eventually too. And not unlike you, there were episodes. I told my husband, I feel like I'm possessed and I'm so sorry, but I threw things at him a couple of times. <laughs> not clearly. That was not my personality reading that to me. We were lucky to have been married about 10 years before I got sick. So we knew it was the illness, but it still didn't make it any easier to live with me, I'm sure. But I told him, I can't control this. I don't get it. I just don't get it. Um, It took a while to peel all that back. But, you know, I think it's worth mentioning, too. There was a recently published journal article called, Doctor, I think I have mast cell activation syndrome. And I think... It's important to keep in mind there are a lot of things that mimic mast cell activation and does need to be picked apart also. Um, patients with um, mast cell problems should have anaphylaxis and or high tryptase. And without either of those, there are about 48, and listed in this article, there are 48 differential diagnoses that need to be approached um, before we can nail it. Um, and I think that's important to remember. They're usually inflammatory conditions, though, too. So we're still talking. The vagus nerve is hugely important to do that. So, Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about how you heal through this and the supplements that you've created. Right. So you've got two patents. Yes, which is an amazing um, validation for me. I will tell you it, no one likes to give a patent in, in the patent industry for supplement mixes. They just don't, unless it is truly brand new science. Um, they just don't like to do it. But this was brand new discovery. And it was validating because I remember going through this and talking to my doctors about I was trying to stimulate the postganglionic vagus nerve with an agonist of acetylcholine. And they just went blank. They, they didn't know what I was talking about. I felt like I was in the twilight zone, you know, like how did I remember this and no one else seems to remember this, but I was just, I just had to stick with it. I felt like we were on the right track and uh, dug a little bit deeper, but that was very validating. I will tell you. Um, so yeah, I think when we're dealing with supplement mixes, I had to figure, I didn't, I couldn't wait for a new drug. I mean, I thought about, should we make a new drug for this? No, we're way too sick to wait around for that. And if we're smart and we stay with the mechanism of actions for ingredients, could I figure this out? Could we cover for genetic defects? Could it cross the blood-brain barrier? Could we look for a bowel movement to make sure it's triggering that vagus nerve? And ultimately, would even my gallbladder return to normal? And it did, thank goodness. Uh, works like a champ now, which is great, but it wasn't easy. But I was in my kitchen of all places trying to put this together, give it to my son who was also wasting away and, and praying that we got it right. But what, what I ended up calling this is Parasim Plus. 
because it supports the parasympathetic nervous system, including the vagus nerve, the lacrimal nerve for tear production. Plus, it crosses the blood-brain barrier to boost acetylcholine for the brain, cognition, short-term memory. And this was a necessary component for um, my family and I to recover. I got to the point, Rena, where my malabsorption, malnutrition was causing even hallucinations. Oh my goodness. I had tons of neurological symptoms of this, but even my neurologist didn't even entertain the possibility because they don't think in terms, especially in the United States, that we'd have malnutrition because everything is fortified, right? And I, mm-hmm. I didn't have Crohn's disease or celiac. I wasn't an alcoholic. I shouldn't have malabsorption. It just never even occurred to them that these neurological problems were from uh, malnutrition. And then with my son, they couldn't figure out why he was breaking bones. His growth stopped. Uh, we were dramatic presenters, but he immediately started to respond, which was great. Um, so, yeah, I just sat and tried to figure out every component to the body's ability to make acetylcholine, what could bind it, what we needed to work around, and get the mix just right to do it nicotine did without the nicotine and um, now it's Parison plus which is again was hugely validating especially when the second patent came through which was kind of surprised for me because no one looked into chronic dry eyes um, considering the autonomic nervous system I'm not sure why but no one really went there probably because they didn't have to but my dry eyes were horrible and I'm an eye doctor I had everything at my disposal for this and I was still suffering so much. And my son's eyes got so dry, he had this abnormal blink. He'd roll his eyes around every time he blinked. I thought, we have got to figure this out. We did three clinical trials with Parison Plus, and um, it wasn't until the end, about four to six weeks, I realized, oh, look, the dry eyes are gone. Wow. Okay, yeah, so that, that, that was a great journey, ultimately. All right, what is your parting advice for someone who's got an invisible illness? What is the one thing you want them to keep in mind as they try to get their health back? Oh, gosh, that's a really tough challenge uh, to pick one thing. <laughs> I think. Okay, give a couple. Okay, a couple. Um, so many of us do end up with psych symptoms, and I was certainly one. My personality went out the window. Yours sounds like it changed. If you can see those psych symptoms as a symptom, of an underlying problem that can help. If you have any signs of chronic inflammation, gut problems, brain fog, dry eyes, please consider the fact that uh, it could be an acetylcholine problem. Parison Plus might help you and that can start to turn around quite a few things. But I think what you said on believe in yourself and no, there are answers for everything. You, the doctors may not know what the answers are, but the answers are out there if we just dig deeply enough. I think uh, it's, it can present as invisible, if you will, I'm using air quotes you can't see, because mm-hmm. I don't think people are looking in the right places. Um, like we started looking in the eyes. No one really went there for whatever reason. But no, they're not invisible. We're not able to always measure some things we need to measure. We will get there, though. So no, there's always answers. If we can stay objective, uh, it's easier to get the answers. And when you're so sick, it's hard to stay objective. It was for me, but that was the only way I could work through the science and stay in the science and get the answers. 
And I'm so excited about HealCircle.org, uh, where people can hopefully get in touch with each other. One thing I heard along my journey was I was an eye doctor. How could, for example, I figure out things in the gut? Um, we can get answers if we keep our wits about us. So no matter the degree someone has, no matter the experience, we can still offer up some answers and it includes everyone. It needs to be a group effort and I think that's where we'll get the most answers. Dr. Diana, thank you so much for not just this interview, but for your incredibly hard work in helping all of us who've got invisible illnesses get their health back. So thank you so much for, for all that you do. And for the rest of you, I'm going to see you smiling on the next Healthier Podcast. If you like this, please share. Let's get our goal is to get 100 million people to reverse their health issues, to take back their health. So share, join us on HealCircle.org, and I'm going to see you on the next podcast. Thank you, Rena. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.